arthritis. I had a friend who has um, rheumatoid arthritis and was diagnosed with it around 16. And using uh, certain strains of marijuana helped her a lot uh, manage pain and get to sleep um because sometimes like that that particular disorder the weight of a blanket could even be like painful to someone so it's very odd um so like i think using it for like an all not like it didn't replace her other medicine and there is no cure but it definitely allowed her to take way less other pharmaceutical drugs who had way more which had way more in, intense um sort of side effects so it was like for her, a good balance. But if she was someone who had other symptoms with marijuana um, that sort of didn't weigh out those cons, like it didn't work for her, then it might not have been the best solution. I think it just depends on the person. We have to stop this cycle. It's insanity. We must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. This is your brain, Andres. To me, what's more significant is the way that we socially regard the condition of addiction. Our argument is that it's willpower. Of course it's willpower. It's not willpower. Treat these drugs as a health problem, not a criminal problem. Okay. And, and, and that's something which seems to me to be, uh, you know, it, it works. Folks don't talk about it. We talk about cancer, we talk about heart disease, but people are afraid and ashamed to talk about drug addiction. Welcome back to Let's Talk Drugs, where we use modern research to explore the truth behind all kinds of drugs. We're presented by ProjectKnow.com. That's Project K-N-O-W.com, which provides easy-to-understand information about substances so that everyone can arm themselves with knowledge. I'm Lolly, and in this series, we'll be discussing one of the most abused and debated drugs on the market, marijuana. As numerous states are in the process of implementing 2018 recreational business regulations, it just felt right to investigate it. In my hunt for information, I came across many surprising facts, and I can't wait to share them with you. Marijuana is one of the most debated drugs in our current culture. The federal government considers it one of the most dangerous substances, lumping it in with heroin and bath salts. Yet, as of the 2016 nationwide vote, 29 states and the District of Columbia have legalized it in some form, including seven states that have approved it for recreational use. Advocates argue its medicinal benefits and low risk profile, while opponents label it an addictive gateway drug that can only cause harm. Exaggerated claims and misrepresented research rain down from both sides of the debate, but the fact remains that marijuana is the most commonly used illicit substance in the United States, with almost 38 million people reporting use in 2016 alone. As many states head into 2018 with recreational business regulations settling into place, it's important to distinguish fact from fiction when it comes to the green. In this series, we're going to explore the truth about weed. No more lies, no more inflated claims, just facts. Let's get started. Fact number one, weed is really, really weird. Cannabis is a super weird drug that defies any strict classification. It has psychoactive effects that blur the lines between other classes of drugs. It can relax you and lower your blood pressure like depressants. It can inspire racing thoughts and rapid heart rate like stimulants. And it can even cause hallucinations like, well, 
hallucinogens. Researchers have a hard time classifying it into any other drug category, so they made it its own category. Wow, it's like kind of a special limbo drug. Interesting. I didn't know that. What's even more strange is that we have natural receptors for it all over our brain and body. This doesn't mean that we evolved to smoke weed, however. The natural cannabinoid receptors in humans exist because we actually produce similar chemicals in our bodies, called endocannabinoids. Endocannabinoids are important for memory, pain management, and maintaining a healthy appetite. That's a lot of science, but I think what you're saying is that I might react better to it than Brussels sprouts. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but really, I don't like Brussels sprouts. But you're saying my body would naturally be like, okay, I'm, I'm down with this. Smoking marijuana activates these receptors to an extreme degree, which is why users experience an intoxicating high complete with irresistible munchies. Funny enough, cannabinoids, which are the psychoactive compounds of weed, were actually discovered before endocannabinoids, which is why the prefix endo, meaning within, was added to the term. From cannabinoids to endocannabinoids. Fact number two, it might not be as medical as you think. Marijuana has some undeniable medicinal benefits, but not as many as advocates may suggest. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say that weed is an effective treatment for glaucoma, epilepsy, or Parkinson's disease, but the fact is that there is simply not enough conclusive evidence to back these claims. I'm not saying there is no evidence. I'm saying that the research that currently exists is either weak or ambiguous, and we simply cannot base medical treatment on incomplete information. On top of this, regular heavy use has been linked with long-lasting problems with memory, learning, and self-control, particularly for younger users. Smoking weed has even been linked with numerous lung problems, though this may have more to do with smoking itself than weed in particular. Either way, it's not 100% medical, as many advocates claim. Whoa, so those YouTube videos I saw of some dude tripping on, like, Parkinson's disease, and then he, like, had some weed, and then that's all false. So what you're saying is that things they see on the internet are not necessarily true. <laughs> well, I'm saying that they could be true, but there's just not enough evidence to support it fully as a medical treatment. You need to fund more studies, is what you're saying. Yep, that's what I'm saying. Unfortunately, because of the strict federal laws surrounding it, research into marijuana is extremely limited. Neuroscience researchers have an easier time getting approved to use high-grade cocaine for studies than concentrated THC. So we're sort of caught in this crappy limbo between the need for more research and the limitations put in place by our own laws. In spite of these limitations, there is some conclusive evidence behind the use of medical marijuana to treat chronic pain, neuropathic pain, appetite loss, nausea and vomiting related to chemotherapy, and spasticity symptoms associated with multiple sclerosis. So I had a friend who has um, rheumatoid arthritis and was diagnosed with it around 16, and using uh, certain strains of marijuana helped her a lot uh, manage pain and get to sleep because um, sometimes like that that particular disorder the weight of a blanket could even be like painful to someone so it's very odd um so like I think using it for like 
an all, not like it didn't replace her other medicine and there is no cure, but it definitely allowed her to take way less other pharmaceutical drugs who had way more, which had way more in, intense um, sort of side effects. So it was like for her a good balance. But if she was someone who had other symptoms with marijuana, um, that sort of didn't weigh out those cons, like it didn't work for her, then it might not have been the best solution. I think it just depends on the person. Cannabis may be a safer treatment alternative for various conditions, but more research needs to be done before we can claim widespread medicinal facts. Fact number three, it has been linked with schizophrenia. Now, I know when I say that some people are going to hear weed causes schizophrenia, but let me be clear, weed does not cause schizophrenia. It has been associated with it. In fact, marijuana may actually speed up the progression of schizophrenia in people who are genetically predisposed to developing the disorder. As weed gets more and more potent from high THC content in buds to more recent cannabis concentrates like wax, oil, and shatter, the risk of advancing a psychological disorder increases. I guess that makes sense. Like, and it's not like everyone you know is going to wind up this way, but you never know how you're going to react in the long run. Kind of like a pretty well-balanced life or approach to substance use is better than going too extreme with one direction. Because you don't really know. Like, how can you, unless you're like, ah, I want to get tested to see if one day I might be schizophrenic. Like, you don't know how you're going to react. So maybe just take it easy. Again, it is extremely important to note that this risk applies primarily to people who are already at risk of developing schizophrenia. Schizophrenia is hereditary, meaning that your genetics can lay the groundwork for later development, depending on various environmental components, like whether or not you decide to smoke weed. If schizophrenia runs in your family, you may want to reconsider the stoner lifestyle. Fact number four. Your nose knows. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Had to smell. While cannabinoids encompass the psychoactive compounds of marijuana, there are a lot of other compounds that contribute to the diversity and range of effects of marijuana. There are nearly 1,000 different marijuana strains around the world, and growers are always experimenting with different strains to market, each with their own unique compound profile, resulting in differing effects and flavor profiles. The flavor of a particular strain is the result of its combination of fragrant oils known as terpenes. Terpenes create the unique scent of each cannabis strain, but also contribute to their unique effects. Some strains make people feel mellow and sleepy, while others cause giggle fits. The effects that a particular strain can cause will depend largely on the terpenes present, and these can have a major impact on the medicinal usefulness of marijuana. Some terpenes have no psychoactive effects and many medical benefits, while others contribute greatly to the stereotypical high that recreational users seek. Legitimate medical use may depend largely on the terpenes present. So how can a person tell which terpenes are in a particular strain? Well, we could run the strain through some high-tech compound testing analysis, which many medical growers are starting to use in order to specialize their strains to treat certain medical conditions. But it doesn't have to be so complicated because humans have a built-in terpene detector. The nose. The human nose can detect the difference between general classes of terpenes, 
which means we can detect the potential effects of particular strains. Some medical dispensaries even recommend that patients use their nose to help them determine which strain to buy. The terpene limonene has a citrus, lemony, orange scent, and it tends to improve mood, relieve stress and anxiety, and may even have minor anti-cancer effects. Caryophylline, on the other hand, I hope I'm saying that right, has a spicy, peppery wood smell and has no psychoactive impact on the user, but has been found to have medical benefits that can help with inflammation, muscle spasms, insomnia, and pain management. Okay, that is really cool, and I feel a lot more like my dog right now <laughs> than I used to. <laughs> That's awesome. I now I kind of now I know why. Like sometimes I've seen and been around some friends who are smoking, and like I feel like I need to open every window in the house. And other people, I'm like, eh, whatever. I guess I could live with this. <laughs> Must be related. We could do experiments. <laughs> There are over 140 different types of terpenes that have been identified in marijuana, and chances are high, no pun intended, that they interact in many ways that we have yet to discover. What's even more interesting about these terpenes is that they have numerous other sources where they can be found, meaning their effects are not only limited to cannabis. Caryophylline, the non-psychoactive terpene I mentioned earlier, can also be found in pepper, basil, oregano, cloves, and hops. Limonene, the citrusy mood-enhancing terpene, can be found in peppermint, juniper, and citrus rind. You don't have to smoke a bowl to get the medicinal benefits of terpenes. Just follow your nose. Mm -mm, I'm hungry now. Fact number five. Its effects are different for everyone. The weed high can range from sleepy relaxation to unstoppable giggle fits to extreme paranoia and anxiety. Marijuana doesn't affect everyone in the same way, and even the same strain may not cause the same high for the same user every time. The effects that marijuana will have depend on many different things, from genetics to expectations, and it can be difficult to know exactly what to expect every time. The most obvious factor has to be tolerance. As a person smokes or vapes or eats or whatever else more and more frequently, they will find that they need more and more in order to get the same high. This is known as building up a tolerance. A person who smokes a lot will have a higher tolerance than someone who rarely smokes. This means the same amount of weed may feel like nothing to a seasoned smoker, but could leave an occasional smoker stuck in an armchair staring at the wall for the rest of the night. Been there, and it's not fun. Peer pressure is a major problem in these kinds of situations, as the pressure to keep up may lead a person to smoke more than they can handle. It's extremely important to know and honor your limits. Learning how to say, I'm good where I'm at, could save you from a night of too high terrors. In terms of me smoking or anything, like, I don't like the feeling and I'm way more aware of it, so I don't get involved in it personally, but I have tons of friends who like it. And on different levels, they've cut back on their intake on that too, because maybe it's also taken them 10 years to figure out that they don't want to do it. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe when we get older, we get more boring, or maybe we're just more, like, I have these limits and this is what I feel comfortable with, and we get more comfortable telling people what those limits are. Cause I don't think peer pressure ever really goes away. Like you go out for happy hour with your peers at work or you go to the, like holiday parties or you like 
a lot of social events, I think when we're older, even become more so around substance use. So that's, that's weird. Genetics are another major factor that can change a person's high. Some people are more or less sensitive to the terpenes present in marijuana, which we talked about earlier. If you have allergies, terpenes could affect you differently. Additionally, if you struggle with asthma, you could end up with more lung irritation, which could cause you to cough more, resulting in an increased absorption of THC. This is because when you cough, you're quickly breathing in and out. (laughs) So you end up repeatedly inhaling the smoke, which can result in a faster, more intense high. Another aspect that is related to genetics is personality and mood. People who tend to be more anxious or nervous in general may carry those feelings into their high. This is not always the case, but your mood going into the high can have a huge impact on the effects that you experience. If you're stressed going in, you may simply amplify your stress with racing thoughts or paranoia. If you're relaxed and happy going in, odds are you'll keep feeling that way once you're high. Hmm, interesting. I have a lot of stress and need for control uh, and sleep sometimes very anxiously after drinking alcohol. I think it would not work out for me so well. Um, Personally, uh, I need to be in a chill environment if that's ever going to happen for me. Everybody's personality is kind of different in how they might handle peer pressure because I'm kind of annoying in that I say annoying things and I'll do annoying things even even if it's inconvenient for other people. So one time I was in the middle of the backseat of a car with lots of people in it and they were about to hotbox and I got the hell out of there. I had to make people get out of the car in order to do that. Ultimately, the effects of marijuana depend largely on the user. Some people are simply more prone to not fun highs and trying it one more time isn't likely to change that. If someone knows they are prone to anxiety-ridden highs, don't pressure them into smoking. If you know that you tend to smoke too much in order to keep up, practice passing on the next hit. Know yourself, know your friends, and get comfortable with respecting limits. Well, that's it for this week's Weed Facts. Be sure to subscribe and share so that everyone can know how empowered with knowledge you are. Check out our new Instagram, Let's Talk Drugs Podcast, for some behind-the-scenes peeks and to stay up-to-date on episode releases. Reach out to us with your drug questions at hashtag Let's Talk Drugs. See you next time! If you or a loved one is struggling with substance abuse or addiction, we are here to help. Call us at 1-888-744-9945 to talk with a recovery support advisor about how to start healing today.